Welcome to the podcast for the Northwest Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Atlanta. Our minister is the Reverend Terry Davis, and each week we'll record audio of the sermon and reflections from members of the congregation from the pulpit at our home in the woods. Thank you for joining us. You can visit us in person at 1025 Mount Vernon Highway Northwest in Sandy Springs or on the web at nwuuc.org. October 30th, 2016. Today's sermon is When We Disagree by Jay Kiskell, and the reading is by Hannah Cowart. As we gather here in this sacred space this Sunday, we are sharing with other Unitarian Universalists in a ritual of common worship and reflection as they too gather together in their sanctuaries and meeting halls. We are also extending our own local tradition started in Atlanta by fellow Unitarians Universalists nearly 140 years ago when they gathered for common worship and reflection. We are here today in this sanctuary of a Unitarian Universalist congregation due in large part to our religious ancestors who declared their intentions to embrace one another so that they may advance the ideas of justice, equality, and compassion in a society that in their time was far less accepting of diversity of people and their opinions. Our sermon today looks back nearly 70 years in our long history when the spiritual will to advance ideas of justice, equality, and compassion collided with our human frailty to honor diversity, embrace a common humanity, and communicate in kindness. That collision nearly ended our Unitarian and Universalist faith tradition in Atlanta. I will add a spoiler alert. We did survive and we did thrive. The story of our revival will be told at another time. Today, we will journey along with those long-ago fellow UUs who faced a crisis between spiritual aspiration and human prejudice. Knowing our history, I believe, gives us the strength we need to confront the challenges we face in our times. Let me share words from the UU minister, Reverend Erica A. Hewitt. With full hearts, we affirm our relationships with one another. We recognize our agency and our connective power, and we accept our responsibility to be bold and courageous. We light this chalice, symbol of all of who we are, all that we have done together, and all that we will be as our shared ministry encourages those within and beyond our walls.
Today's reading is from a newspaper article that appeared almost 70 years ago in the Atlanta papers on October 9th, 1949. Jay and I apologize for the harshness of the language in this article and today's sermon. African-American citizens, for example, were then commonly and openly referred to as Negroes or colored. When preparing for this reading, I had no idea how much it would affect me personally just to say those words out loud. Though we may wish we could, we can't change history. We also can't run from it. If we wish to learn from our congregation's history to be its true witness, we are best served by traveling back in time and looking at ourselves unfiltered, examining the precise words and language used in that time. This honest examination is illuminating on many levels and can perhaps enable us to become more grounded today. From a historical perspective, a year after the publication of the 1949 article that I will shortly read, our joint Unitarian and Universalist faith community in Atlanta collapsed. The events that set that collapse into motion will be covered in Jay's sermon today. The title of the newspaper article is Unitarians Vote to Repeal Resolution Barring Negroes. And the article reads, The congregation of the Atlanta Unitarian Universalist Church voted to repeal the resolution barring Negroes from the worship service of their church, Dr. Earl LeBaron, minister of the church, said yesterday. I have long advocated the repeal of this resolution, Dr. LeBaron said. However, the resolution refers only to attendance at divine worship and not to membership. There is no thought or intention on the part of the congregation to establish an interracial church. The matter of church membership remains in the hands of the congregation, he said. We simply want to offer Negroes the liberal religious we simply want to offer Negroes of the liberal religious an opportunity to worship according to the dictates of their conscience, since there is no Unitarian or Universalist colored church in Atlanta. The customs of the city and the South will be observed in seating visitors at the worship service. The article continues. It was at this church during the presidential campaign last fall that Henry Wallace supporters tried to disrupt services because of the race resolution. The question hit a feverish pitch at one time during the campaign and was culminated in the resignation of one of its pastors. Here ends the reading. With whom do we covenant? To whom do we extend our promise to honor the strength found in our diversity? To embrace the full measure of our common humanity? To communicate in kindness? I would like us to ponder the answers to those questions as I share a story in our congregation's history. It is a story of Reverend Isaiah Jonathan Domas, a minister who served our Atlanta faith community in the late 1940s. At that time, both our Unitarian and Universalist faith members gathered together 
in a church that once stood on West Peachtree Street, where today's North Avenue Marta Station stands. A physical part of that church is with us here today in those stained glass windows that hang in our sanctuary. We are direct descendants of that church, and therefore their story is our story. I ask you to ponder the questions I pose because during the ministry of Reverend Domas, we so disagreed with one another that our Unitarian Universalist faith movement in Atlanta collapsed. We may not face the same decisions and controversies that confronted Reverend Domas and his congregation, but we have our own modern-day decisions and controversies. The question to ponder then is, will our covenant to one another preserve our faith community for future generations, or could we too dissolve in disagreement? The story starts in the first chapter in a yet-to-be-published book on Reverend Domas, written by his daughter, Claudia Reed, entitled Crazy for Justice, The Optimism of a Black-Listed Minister. The story is told through Claudia's eyes and takes place in the living quarters of the parsonage that stood next to the West Peachtree Street Church. When the Ku Klux Klan threatened our family in the fall of 1947, I was too young to be told and too short to look out the high windows. If I saw anything alarming, it was the odd way my parents stared at the street. My mother stood on one side of a closed drape, my father on the other. Each lifted just enough cloth to let in a sharp slice of Georgia sunlight. On West Peachtree Street, two floors below, a convoy of battered cars and rusty pickup trucks stretched from 3rd Street to Ponce de Leon. Each was full of Klansmen in white robes, tilting back their pointed hoods to hunt for motion behind our drapes. Claudia's mother later shared that the Klansmen had their car windows down and she could see rifles sticking out. Claudia asked her mother if she and her father were scared upon seeing the parade of armed Klansmen. Her mom responded, We were too angry to be scared, and your father was not allowed to let a bunch of bigoted nincompoops tell him what to do. Reverend Domas had recently moved his wife and young Claudia from Vermont to Atlanta. He was a determined spirit and wanted to bring justice, equality, and compassion to a city with a long-standing social norm of racial segregation. Reverend Domas believed that justice, equality, and compassion without action renders such belief without substance, and Reverend Domas was a man of substance. So why had the Klansmen donned their white robes, clutched their rifles, and circled the church? It was in response to a simple act of justice, equality, and compassion, or maybe better stated, a simple act of defiance. Reverend Domas decided he would invite a friend and colleague from Atlanta University, Dr. Thomas Baker Jones, to attend church services. Dr. Jones was black. Reverend Domas described the Sunday visit of Dr. Jones and the cascading events that followed in a letter to the American Unitarian Association. 
He was seated without incident, even to the taking of his offering. But the matter was hardly allowed to rest there. An ultra-race-conscious minority promptly rushed to the telephone and served notice on those two members of the board with whom they felt they had the most in common, that I should be fired forthwith. The next Sunday, I did what any right-thinking liberal minister might do under the circumstances. I preached a sermon denouncing race discrimination in church or out, and defended most emphatically Dr. Jones's God-given right to do precisely what he did. God may have made the case for brotherhood on the sixth day of creation, but Atlanta's Unitarian Universalist Church had yet to make up its mind. A formal vote was called for on December 5, 1947. Twenty-one members of the liberal congregation voted, quote, to exclude the Negro from all church functions. Fifteen opposed the motion. The rest, in the best hush-my-mouth Southern tradition, declined to cast a ballot. Dr. Jones spent the following Sunday at home, there being no separate but equal Unitarian Universalist church for persons of the colored or black race. With whom do we covenant? To whom do we extend our promise to honor the strength found in our diversity? To embrace the full measure of our common humanity? To communicate in kindness? I wish... I wish I could say that the church's segregation policy was the only pressure bearing down on them. This was 1947. Only one year earlier, former British Prime Minister Winston Churchill declared that an iron curtain had descended across Europe, cleaving the world into two vast blocks of uncompromising ideology. A fear gripped the United States that the rampant spread of communism would undermine the purity of Americanism. The House Committee on Un-American Activities was in full swing investigating suspected threats of subversion. The mere suspicion of liberal thinking could expose one to a full-throated accusation of being a liberal, left-wing, pinko, socialist commie. Imagine now the intense scrutiny an activist liberal Unitarian from, from Vermont faced in the Deep South. The Atlanta Papers, for example, did not let go unnoticed that Reverend Domas had been the chairman for a speech given by the third-party presidential candidate, Henry Wallace, in Atlanta. Wallace had been vice president of the United States in FDR's third administration. He was an ardent supporter of New Deal liberalism and a proud desegregationist. Wallace's liberal leanings no doubt attracted Reverend Domas, and undoubtedly the minister's embrace of Wallace fused in the public mind his image as an untrustworthy lefty. The Atlanta papers also made sure to point out that Wallace's Atlanta speech was given before a mixed white and Negro audience in a Negro church. But it gets worse. Reverend Domas had once invited Don West, a friend, poet, educator, and civil rights organizer, to speak at the Unitarian Universalist Church. 
In my conversations with Claudia, I asked her if she remembered Don West. Oh, yes, she said. Don would come over to the parsonage, and my father and he would frequently chat. I then shared with Claudia that my research had found reference to her dad and Don West in FBI files that had made, been made public by a request of the Freedom of Information Act. According to this informant, West had a long discussion with Reverend I.J. Domas, minister of the Unitarian Universalist Church, Atlanta, December 16, 1947. This was serious business. In an article in the Atlanta paper entitled, The Unitarians Have a Reason to Threat, it stated as fact that the Communist Party has caused the Unitarian Church, because of its liberal policy, to be selected for infiltration purposes and for use in various Communist Front purposes. The accusation was rubbish, but an open public suspicion had been raised against the Unitarian Universalist Church and its minister. In May 1948, a vote was taken in the church with sunlight flowing through those very windows over there on whether or not to accept the resignation of its 38-year-old minister, Reverend Isaiah Jonathan Domas. His resignation was accepted by a vote of 33 to 32. Again, the Atlanta papers reported that Reverend Domas, in less than eight months, has stirred up a hornet's nest in the church by, one, favoring the acceptance of a Negro college professor for membership, two, public espousal of the presidential campaign of Henry Wallace. The congregation made a public announcement that the minister's resignation was accepted, quote, not because we dispute the minister's right to his own political views, but because we feel he is simply not the right person for leadership in the situation down here. Two months after Reverend Domas departed, a business meeting was convened to address the concern that the congregation had been, again, quote, tarred with the brush of communism. A lengthy resolution was passed stating in part, any person or persons connected with or in sympathy with the Communist Party are no longer actively connected with the local church. After Reverend Domas departed, Dr. Earl LeBaron was called as the minister. Dr. LeBaron was neither a Unitarian nor a Universalist. His background is not exactly clear. Ex-Catholic, ex-Methodist, have not been able to determine. We do know that before accepting the pastorate, he had been head of the history and political science departments at Bernal College in Gainesville, Georgia. Calling a non-Unitarian or Universalist may have been the congregation's only recourse. Responding to the segregationist positions held by the Atlanta congregation, the American Unitarian Ministers Association urged its members to refuse a call to Atlanta pending a change in the congregation's policy. This position by the American Unitarian Ministers Association may 
may have had some influence on the removal of the prohibition barring Negroes from attending church services, as noted in Hannah's reading. What was clear to the national organizations of the Unitarians and Universalists was that the Atlanta congregation would remain segregated and thus operated contrary to core principles of both organizations. Consequently, both organizations withdrew support. The congregation soon collapsed. The building on West Peachtree Street was sold to the Bible Research Foundation, and the congregation members scattered. Resurrection would occur, but that is a story for another time. With whom do we covenant? To whom do we extend our promise to honor the strength found in our diversity? To embrace the full measure of our common humanity? To communicate in kindness? If ever there was a time for a congregation to hold among themselves a covenant, the congregation of the late 1940s was one that would have derived the most benefit. Covenant comes from the Latin word convenari, meaning to come together. Would a covenant among our fellow Unitarians and Universalists nearly 70 years ago have helped them avoid the decisions that set in motion the collapse of their faith community? Hard to say. I do know in the three-plus years that I have been researching our UU history, only rarely has the concept of covenant been seen. Lacking a tradition of a sense of right relations among congregation members, I believe the enormous social pressures of rapidly changing race relations and the global menace of spreading communism was simply too much for our brothers and sisters of the 1940s. Honoring diversity, embracing a common humanity, communicating in kindness may have simply been a bridge too far. Today, it is different. In our church, Reverend Davis has a renewed focus on our responsibilities and the clear articulation of the meaning and value of right relations. We covenant to seek to understand others' truths by listening actively and, respect, and respectfully. Nor are we a bunch of bigoted nincompoops, as Reverend Domas referred to the Klansmen. Rather, our doors are open. We affirm each Sunday to have a faith tradition that celebrates and welcomes all of us, regardless of religious background, ethnicity, age, ability, political persuasion, sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression. So when a social justice issue, such as the defense of LGBTQ rights, is raised from this pulpit, we respond with united, affirming action. When our minister speaks of a just mercy to address the injustice of the mass incarceration of African Americans, we listen. Some are moved. None oppose. We are in covenant with one another. When reference is made to Black Lives Matters from the pulpit, are we as embracing? Do we seek to understand others' truths by listening actively and respectfully? Do we have confidence and our trust in one another to freely speak our minds and hearts? Or is there silence? We have recently added political persuasion to our open-door litany. Do we thus declare that the strength of our covenant empowers us 
with loving confidence to embrace fellow congregation members, whether they are voting for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. There is never a generation free from decisions or free from controversies. Let us hope that we have the strength to honor diversity, embrace our common humanity, and communicate in kindness so we can pass this congregation forward to a future generation filled with greater wisdom and more love than we hold among ourselves today. May it be so. As we end our time together, together, let us be mindful that we are connected not only to one another, but also to those who have traveled before us. Let us continue that wider journey and to give those who will follow us greater wisdom and more love than we hold among ourselves today. Go in peace and continue the journey. <laughs>